a special edition of NZSA Live. The following content was recorded at our 2018 National Writers Forum. We're releasing it as part of NZSA Connect to help New Zealand authors and writers stay connected during the COVID-19 national lockdown. Today's podcast features audio recorded at the panel discussion, Why A or Not Why A? That is the question. The panel featured Mandy Hager, Lani Went Young, and was chaired by Anna McKenzie. question. I'm Anna McKenzie, author, mentor, assessor and currently vice president of NZSA. Over the past decade and a half I've written nine YA titles or possibly eight YA titles and one YA adult crossover title and I'd like to start by welcoming you and introducing you to my fellow panellists. Mandy Hager at the far end is the author of multiple award-winning YA titles including Singing Home the Whale, Dear Vincent, The Crossing Trilogy and the recently released Ash Arising, plus a novel for adults, Heloise, written during her tenure of the Catherine Mansfield Fellowship and subsequently as writer-in-residence at Waikato University. Mandy tutors novel writing at Fitarea, undertakes mentoring and assessment, has two adult children, two grandchildren and multiple writing accolades. Lani Went Young is the current ACP Pacific Laureate and winner of the USB Fiction Prize. Author of the popular Telesar YA fantasy series, Lani also writes contemporary romance, short stories, adult non-fiction and essays. She explores different forms and publishing models and provides both role model and voice for young Pacifica writers and readers. Born in Samoa or Samoan and Ngāti Kahanunu descent, Lani is the mother of five and, in her own words, a demented domestic goddess. <laughs> she lives in Auckland and online. Let's kick off by defining the term YA. What is YA fiction? How should it be defined? <laughs> I'm looking at you both. Okay. Um, kia ora, thank you for coming. Um, I just have to warn you, and this is a very YA thing to say, that my head is a snot factory, so if I start coughing, <laughs> please forgive me. Um, what is YA? It's not a genre. Um, YA writing covers all genres. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's mostly a marketing, cat- marketing category. But for me, YA means youthful attitude. So that, and that is what I love about it. So it's about the, um, the passions and, and idealism that young people bring to a story and um, an opportunity to look at the world with fresh eyes, look at it with fresh eyes again and to explore ideas and to explore the passion of wanting to change the world. So those are the reasons I write it and that's how I tend to think of it. Um, hi everyone. Um, I think at the most basic level, um, I'd say that YA has characters that are YA. <laughs> um, and I think that that sort of, uh, for me, is the most sort of basic uh, ingredient for all of the different genres that YA uh, falls into, because I think, as Vanny points out, um, you know, we've got YA romance, YA sci-fi, fantasy. It's 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 great. Um, it, it it covers everything. Um, and for young adult, I think. Uh, it doesn't just stop at age 20. You know, I, I think that that sort of that youthful attitude um, carries on. And so, but for me, I think at the most basic level, um, you've got characters that are in that YA age range. Um, I'll add something else. I, I read up on it because I didn't know the answer to this. Um, and somebody said because there are there are adult novels that have younger characters as their main protagonist, and and somebody said that the difference between an adult and YA novel is that 
if it's a, if it's a teen and an adult novel, that it's like the adult looking back on the teenage experience rather than um, with a YA novel, you're kind of right in the middle of the experience. You're in the head of mm. the teen. The teen looking out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, I definitely think it, it addresses the world from the perspective of, of a teen character. Which is, of course, a challenge, because we're not teens, so we have to get our own headspace back into where teens are at and right from there. I don't think that's hard. <laughs> but if you think about it, every time you go to like a funeral or a family Christmas or somewhere where all your siblings collect together, suddenly you can be 60, but you're back to being teenage again. It's the same dynamics, and I think that they're the most... Um, it's the most powerful emotional time of your life. And so I think that actually it's quite easy to tap back into that. Um, especially if you keep in mind kind of putting adult cynicism aside and actually just looking at it with fresh eyes. That freshness, yeah. 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 And for me, um, having young people in the house and constantly in my face is also very helpful with, um, yeah, it's not difficult to... to to get back in that headspace, I think, because it's very hard to escape it when you are surrounded by them. And teens do do that amazing thing of, of it's as if the adults around them don't exist, isn't it? Oh, the yes. classic is driving in a car if you're taking kids on a school trip or you've got a bunch of teenagers in the back and they talk as if you're not there. That's great research time. I remember cooking for one of my kids' parties, 18th birthday party, and and a, a young man and a young woman walked past and the young guy said, actually, I've never looked at anyone else's dick. And I said from the kitchen, across the other side of the bench, me neither. And he was horrified. <laughs> it's like, how dare you come into our conversation? <laughs> yeah. Strange. Do we think that there is any subject matter, any material, any topic that is not appropriate for YA fiction? No. But I... But personally, and this is just personal, I, I think there are things that I would rather not see in print full stop. I'd, I'd rather not see racism promoted. I'd rather not see sexism promoted. I'd rather not see war glorified and violence glorified. So to me, I don't think they have any place in fiction full stop. But um, The glorification of them? or The, the glorification of them. Yeah. No, no, I think we mm. should address them, but I would like them addressed in a way where you actually understand the consequences of them mm. and not, you know, not some kind of rallying cry to war. So overall, no, but I think that, you, I think that there are considerations. For instance, um, Dear Vincent, which is about suicide. Um, I had to think really hard about how I was going to handle that um, given the guidelines, there are, there are guidelines around writing um, stuff on suicide. So um, being careful, being aware, but I don't think we should be frightened off it. I think that what I see my job is saying, these are some things that are out there in the world, these are some ways that you might think about it, or these are some questions you might ask about it. Come on an exploration with me and let's go and explore this. And so um, when I'm writing about that kind of thing, I guess the one premise kind of thing at the bottom for me would be that in YA fiction, I do personally think there should be a little bit of hope at the end. I think mm -hmm. it's our responsibility to not leave kids in a dangerous place. So I think that that has to be at the back of your mind when you're writing yep. those kind of things. Um, yeah, I think likewise, um, I don't think there's any topic or issue that that is not um, YA. Uh, it all depends also, though, on, on how we approach it and, and on how it's portrayed. Um, I know that it came up yesterday in the Hot and Bothered session where there was a good question from someone about sex in YA novels from the consideration of um, then sometimes it can make schools and libraries, school libraries in particular, can be hesitant perhaps to stock um, a YA book that, that they think has got, got sex in it. And, um, Is that maybe because the spines get broken so quickly? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Are those the ones that get stolen? The draw marks on the page. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, for me, I, 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 sometimes I'm, I have my parent hat on. And um, as a parent, I would prefer that, that my teens are not reading er erotic um, <laughs> uh, stories. 
but at the same time, I'm remembering when I was a, a teenager, and um, well, at the time, we only had things like Sweet Valley High and Nancy Drew. And, um, I mean, obviously, there was, there was no sex in any of those. But then, as a teenager growing up, you, you have that interest and you want to read about other things. And so then, I was reading, uh, jumping all the way to the other extreme. And, you know, you're reading Jackie Collins and Lace and all kinds of other books that are not approaching sex from a young adult's perspective. Mm. And so I think for me, um, no topic should be off, off limits, but it's how we approach it. Because I think it's very important that our young people, that they are able to read stories where these issues, decisions, uh, and situations are being tackled and, and dealt with by our characters. And hopefully then we can model some of the things that we kind of hope that they will then tackle it that way um, and not just sort of be getting into um, a lace type novel, uh, but looking at it as a teenager. And I but think books are a really safe way to explore an issue. I think, I think there's nothing in the world that isn't possibly appropriate to be covered in a YA novel, but with hope, with positivity mm -hmm. about positive outcomes if it's a dark and difficult thing. But but I also think there are ways that writers can, and I would urge anybody thinking of writing for the wire market to, to think about being subtle enough that if a difficult idea is you, you're covering it, you don't have to be so graphic that everybody deals with it before they're ready to take that on board or before they even know that exists. And I remember reading adult books when I was probably 14 and not understanding what they're about and rereading them as an adult and thinking, that's what it was about. And it don't, went straight over my head because I, you know, I, I had no idea that that thing even existed. And I think as writers, we can be responsible in the way we cover those darker issues so that they are subtle enough that kids who aren't ready to be thinking about that don't have to, but kids that, who do know exactly mm. what it's about. And in Seric Stranger, I remember there's a boy who's abusive and he's abusing, and, and Ness is about 14, and he traps her in a cupboard and it could go badly wrong but they're interrupted. And my 11-year-old daughter, I don't spell out why it's a bad situation, it happens. And so if a kid has some experience along those lines, they'll know what that's about. But my daughter, who was 10, read it and said, I didn't like Ness because he traps Ness, uh, he didn't like the boy, because he traps Ness in the cupboard and she's afraid of the dark. Mm. And there's no mention of being afraid of the dark, but that was her understanding of why mm. that would be bad. And yeah, so I think we can try and deal with things in that way. That's true, but I, but I don't even think, even if you don't try and deal with them, I think that's how kids read, you know, that yeah. you take in what you're ready to at the time. And, but I think but I mean, I mean, think it's really important to write about those hard things. Mm. And I've written about, you know, date rape and suicide and sexual violence and all sorts of things. And... And why do I do it? Because to the kids that have gone through that, to actually see their story in print and know that they can talk about it changes their lives. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that's magic. Because mm. I think, um, and I, it may tie into the next question that we're, we're getting to, so sorry for jumping ahead. I think for me, the most what have been the most powerful YA novels are ones that don't underestimate the reader. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like, we, we don't dumb things down. We don't try to condescend in any way because, you know, our young people are light years ahead of us in so many ways. Um, and this, of course, is just ignoring the fact that, hey, many adults, we're all reading um, young adult YA novels anyway. But, I mean, I got quite a surprise, uh, not last year, well, whenever it was that Donald Trump was running for, for office. And um, I was at a picnic with my children and overheard my t then 10-year-old talking to her friend, and they were having a very avid discussion of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And I was just shocked because I was thinking, well, when I was 10, I certainly wasn't having, I wasn't aware of those sorts of issues. And um, so, yeah, I think that... Um, we need to, to take on, um, and, and the most powerful books, the ones that I've been reading lately, are doing those things and are handling issues like systemic racism and police brutality and, and all sorts of things like that. And that's important, I think, to, for us to do as writers. Yeah, yeah. And we're giving kids the tools to deal with the world they're growing into. So we need to be honest about it. And telling them that their voices are important, which mm. I think is really important too, that mm. their stories are important and their voices are important to be heard. Mm. 
Let's jump ahead to that thing that you <laughs> mentioned, the adults reading YA fiction. Um, and, one, and I sometimes do wonder why adults are reading YA fiction. I mean, obviously you read it if you want to be aware of what your kids are reading and that kind of thing. But in the last decade, I think we've seen more and more adults reading things like Twilight and The Hunger Games and Harry Potter. And I ask myself, what's in it for the adult? Should adults be reading? Are we transgressing on teen privacy by taking their books? Or is it a really positive thing to be sharing that with them? Is it or is it just because we like being reminded of what it's like being 15 years old? What do you think? I think it's just because they're bloody good books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I think that, um, you know, they have plot so that, so that stuff happens in them. I think that overall um, YA books speak truthfully about issues and I think that people really like that and I think people get sick of... Um, kind of garden variety fodder and that YA writers on the whole think really hard about what they're doing and why they're doing it and that they're thoughtful books and I think people appreciate that. I just think they're really relevant too, you know, and um, I mean, I just breathed in, inhaled Twilight, you know, I mean, boom, 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 one after the other. Uh, same thing with The Hunger Games. Two very different feelings um, from, from those, both those series. And, um, but yeah, I think that they're just, they're just really good books. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the people that ask that question probably haven't read y enough YA books, actually. And the best of YA books. Yeah. I mean, there are YA yeah. books that oh, I'd be shocked yeah. if adults Absolutely. were reading Sweet Valley High. You know, yeah. I think that would be slightly disturbing. But, yeah, really good quality. There's no doubt in my mind that the best of YA is the best of literature. Mm. And that the worst of YA is just like the worst of yeah. every other genre. Yeah. So you've got if to you, pick and If choose. you think about your own kind of childhood reading, there are books that you read that stay with you for your life and actually not just stay with you but change you and change the way that you think. And so why wouldn't we be wanting to create books that will not only do that for people but will continue to kind of feed them through their lives? So I think it's mm. just such an important kind of time to be speaking to a particular reader to kind of move them on and keep them reading and thinking about the world. Let's think about the, the marketing of books as YA and um, the expanding categories that um, are being used by publishing companies in particular. So we have the new adult fiction that you and I were talking about a little earlier, Lani, and, and that covers the 20-somethings market. And, and so putting together you know, whether we need those categories, whether they are beneficial to us as writers. Are they beneficial to writers? Are they beneficial to readers? Is it good to say this is a YA book and this is not a YA book, this is an adult book, this is a... Does that, does that help the reader? Does it help the writer? Does it help the parent? Um, when I started seeing NAs, new, new adult um, books, um, I, the ones that I did read just seemed to be... Um, it just seemed to be a code word for being, a, for, for being very sex-filled books. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I, I sort of stopped um, for a while because maybe I just didn't find any good new adult. But um, I think it's just a marketing um, ploy uh, category. Uh, I think that um, good YA has always, you know, there's no, like, okay, they're over 20, so it's no longer YA. Um, I think it's always sort of just been a blend of, of the youthful um, attitude and situations that are relevant to young people. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a super fan of, of the new adult um, as a category or as a way to think about writing a book, but that's just me. Oh no, I think, I think when I very first started, I was much more conscious of um, you know, the word choice and being careful that I didn't offend anybody. But actually, I'm, I, I've decided, given that I don't make any money from it, um, yet I spend most of my life doing it, I just write the books I want to write. And they ha mostly happen to be with younger protagonists because I do want to connect with young people because I think that they're important ideas that I want them to think about. So I just write the books now. So it's somebody else's problem it's the publisher's problem and it's the you know it's the distributors and marketers problem now yeah to figure out and in fact 
I personally think that they should just publish um, YA novels with a cover that can cross over and that they shelve them under both sections. And that would... Shelving can be very relevant to writers, obviously, because it'll impact yeah. on our sales. Where we, where we sit in a library and where we sit in a bookshop is going to have a serious impact on who will pick up those yeah. books. Yeah, and, and what's fantastic about you know, YA books is that they're often half the price of yes. um, adult books for some bizarre reason, like, you know, you haven't Which put... does also mean half the royalty. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting what you said about um, the shelf space and, and where things get, get put. Um, and I'm just reminded, like, so in Samoa, I know in a certain other libraries here, they have Pacific collections. And oftentimes, I know in Samoa, those are, like, you need to sign in and get special permission to go in because um, they won't just let everybody in because, I guess, they don't have many copies or whatever. And so they were putting my books in the Pacific room, which not just everybody could go in and I was like well why can't they just be out here where the YA books are um, so sometimes yeah like you're saying it is very important where where books go and how they're categorized because there is the Pacific Literature label um, but that can be very limiting for my books and so yeah I'm the same thing here with whether a library has it in the New Zealand yeah. section or the general fiction section mm. or the YA. And also I think, you know, with some of mine and yours would be in maybe the fantasy yes. section. Or, and, and as someone who's never read fantasy, therefore never look at those shelves. And maybe if they did that find they loved it. Mm. It's, it's a tricky thing. It does impact on our work mm. and the sales of our work. But then there are also books that sit completely beyond those categories, books that possibly we read when we were young or when we were adults that were written by adults for adults but are now considered YA titles and, and sit alongside ours, like um, Dodie Smith's I Capture the Castle or a lot of the sci-fi from the 50s um, is now considered y 1984, YA book now. It certainly wasn't written as a YA book. Um, how does that happen? Who makes those decisions? Should people make those decisions? I just remember when I was growing up, I, there was no YA. Um, I don't know if that's because I was in Samoa growing up, but nobody ever saw There was no young adult. There was just children's books, and then there was all the other books. And um, you just, you know, go to the library and hope you get lucky and find ones that you uh, really relate to. I mean, that's how I ended up reading, like, Handmaid's Tale when I was 12, you know, and just being, like, totally traumatised. But... Um, <laughs> I was traumatised at 40. <laughs> yeah. So... Yes, I don't know who makes the decisions and when that started, but there was no way when I was young. I, I don't know how much it's librarians. I know that I've had um, school librarians take Dear Vincent particularly off the shelves because of its suicide content and hide it or refuse. Kids have to actually go and secretly ask for it if they want to read it and get recorded that they've read it. Um, yeah, so I really don't know, and I think that it's partly cultural too. So I've written stuff that's been published in the States and it gets sanitised down to kind of white bread, you know? It's just so different kind of cultural expectations. You can't have a swear word if you're publishing in the States. Um, so, so I don't know who makes those rules, but I think it's a shame because I think that it just limits and limits and limits mm. what kids are reading. And I, just, I, I think reading's about expanding your world, not closing it down. And, and, and again, I just think if you're not ready to receive it, you won't receive it at that, at that level. I can remember reading Lady Chatterley's Lover secretly when I was about 14. 90% of it went over my head. All the kind of political, social stuff, no way. I was just going for the meat in the <laughs> middle, you know. So I think that you come back to books and read them completely differently. Things. I remember yeah. reading The Green Gage Summer and not having any idea that there was sex in it at all. I mean, I didn't know what sex was. I well, I had no idea that um, the Narnia stories were about religion. It no, says a lot yeah. about my back background and actually when I read when I knew that and went back and read them I, I, I really killed them for me. <laughs> what were the books that shaped you as a young adult? What are the ones that stand out in your mind? Um, well Little Women uh, mm -hmm. was, was a big one for me. Reread that series many times um, and I did appreciate Nancy Drew and Trixie Belden because those were like very rare to find books where, where girls were doing stuff um, and they were the stars of, of the book. Uh, when I was able to read Alex, that just like, oh, that just blew my mind open. I, I loved that book. And um, 
And then the Narnia stories. Um, th those um, those were, were magical. And it did kind of dim it for me when I grew up and found out that they were actually allegories of something else. That was kind of a letdown. Yes. So, th yeah, those were the stories that had an impact. Mandy? Well, mine are about two generations <laughs> earlier than yours. Um, look, I just read so many. Um, but I can't, I can't, I have to really go back to Dr. Seuss because I feel like my values, I got my values from Dr. Seuss. You know, I really did. A person's a person no matter how small. Those books really stick with me. But um, all sorts of things, all George Orwell's books, they really stuck with me. I think because I had parents that were very interested in that stuff. A lot of it was social justice. Um, the Silver Sword, that was an incredible mm. book that mm. really impacted on me. The Diary of Anne Frank, so, the story of Helen Keller, so many stories, and they were kind of outside of my experience, but, but not entirely having had a refugee father. So um, stories about going into the wilderness of Africa, Jack London's stories, mm. all those books that mm. kind of take you out of yourself. <coughs> There were just so many, and then when I got a bit older, people like Kurt Vonnegut and and lots of people that more kind of overtly talked about um, politics and justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Slaughterhouse Fives, I must say, did have a huge impact on me, and on so many different levels, not just the issues of Second World War. Yeah. But The Outsiders by Susan Hinton oh, yeah. was the That's book right. that stopped me in my tracks. I'd never read a book that was in a a world that was so compelling and yet so different to mine and that, that had so many layers in it and probably the first book that made me weep. Yeah. And I read it, I'd never read a book more than once. I don't think I just rushed from book to book and that one I read 11 times before I'd even lend it to my brother. You know, it was, yeah, it was amazing. And those books stay with you and when you read them again, they still, they still make me cry. They're still powerful books, aren't they? Yeah. So all of us have written for a teen and an adult audience. So I guess one of the key questions that, that our audience here might be interested in is what, what is the difference, if there's any, between writing for, writing for a teen audience, writing for an adult audience from the writer's perspective? How is it different for each of us? <laughs> um, I don't actually find, think that there is a lot of difference. Because for me, it is, um, it's about the characters. And so because um, when I'm writing YA, often, uh, well obviously for me, the main characters um, are young adults. And so it's about immersing myself in the characters and my stories are very character driven. And so for me, it doesn't become right. Well, you know, how would I say this for a teenager to read? I never, I never think that way. I just try to put myself in the perspective of getting to know these people that I'm creating, um, what drives them, what motivates them, um, where, what are their hopes and dreams, and, and where are we going to end up. And so for me, I don't sit and actively think about um, the teen reader when I'm writing a YA novel. When it's all finished, or perhaps there might be some points, perhaps especially with dialogue, when I might stop and I might run it past my kids. Because I might say, oh, you know, can you, we're having this conversation and I'll read a bit to them and they'll be like, oh, whatever, you know, nobody talks like that. Um, your slang is so outdated. I have a problem, I, 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 my children think that I use really old slang. And um, yeah, so I think that I don't actively stop and think about um, making sure it fits a YA reader until perhaps the end when I might consider some of those aspects. But it's not the driving focus for me. Um, it is just like writing any other book. Um, I, don't, I don't think of it differently. Before we go on to you with that question, Mandy, Tell us, Lani, so how do you respond to that slang thing? What do you do with slang? Well, oftentimes I just take it out. Mm -hmm. Because I think the important, well, what was helpful for me too is that kids remind me that um, what's hip and cool today is actually not going to be hip and cool next year. And so to cover yourself, you want your book to be relevant um, and hopefully still be in print and people still reading it a few years from now. Um, you, you take out the, the slang. Um, well, that's what's worked for me. And um, I have Fafafine characters, third gender. And um, many Fafafine in our communities, they um, will have a language all their own. And um, so I was wanting to make sure that my 
I was representing them um, authentically. So I was having them speak with some of their language. And then some Fafafina readers got in touch with me to point out that actually our language changes so fast that now your language that you've got in this book is dated. We, none of us use those anymore. Um, so, you know, I mean, those considerations, that, that's... It's something I'm always having to, so it helps when you're doing an e-book and, and you're self-published. You can go back in and you can update it and change it. Um, but yeah, so I, when my kids point things out, I, I usually listen because mm. they mm. know better sometimes. You know, if you're writing YA slang, swearing, all of that is a yeah. really important thing to think about because you don't want a book that in two years' time feels like something written a century ago because mm. that really will kill your YA readership. You don't want them to sound like adults in teenager bodies too. Which, no. which is the other, which is yeah. the other problem as well. They still have. Which to, is, I guess, yeah. what John Marsden was alluding to when he said he was annoyed that they t the publisher took out "fuck" and put in "damned," and you know that that damned which homework, so and, and a kid wouldn't <laughs> say that, so it just sounds ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess because Eloise was um, historic fiction, which I had never done before, so there was a whole lot of um, issues around that that were very different. But no, I don't really see it differently. I mean. I like books where stuff happens and books that go deeply into character. I would say the only thing maybe is that um, you may be allowed a little bit more time to slow down and explore some kind of deeper philosophical stuff if you want to. Um, perhaps that's really the only difference. But, but I just write it the way I want to write it, to be honest. It's just, I've got this book in my head, and when the voice comes, I just go for it. And that's all stuff that kind of gets thought about later. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think it always comes back to you write the book that wants to be written. You write the book that you yeah. feel compelled to, to write the story that you want to tell. And you hope that that works out in the end. But are there challenges at the marketing end of writing in both an adult and a YA audience, that whole we've heard a lot this weekend about yourself as the brand, your name as the brand. If your brand is trying to do several different things, does that create a difficulty? Well, I mean, maybe. It probably does for the publisher and the booksellers, but I mean, I, I think I've just come to accept that there are some people that like my writing and there are a lot of people that probably don't like my writing, but the people who do, really do, and I'm happy with that. And you know, I've had enough kind of feedback from um, readers that where books have really had a big impact on them, and that's enough for me. So I'm happy to just continue that way. I know that I get into a lot of trouble for the amount of swearing in my books, but I swear a lot anyway. And um, and I, you know, I think we have a real hang-up. I don't understand the hang-up with swearing. Uh, people, you know, young people, they don't, they don't think of it in the same way. And I think that, you know, they think of it just as emphasis on words. And so I, th I think that there's a whole lot of kind of stuff that gets put onto books that's nothing really to do with what the readers want or, or don't want. It is really interesting what our society tolerates in film or TV. Yes. You know, you could be perfectly happy with your children watching Game of Thrones, but you don't want them to see fuck written on a page. I know, I know. Or, or, or to, see, to see a kind of violent sexual act that has no discussion about what that does to the victim. Um, and yet, you know, they won't let you use the word fuck. I just, I, I think that's all backwards. I really, really do. So um, it might be difficult for publishers, but I, I stand my ground on it as much as I can, really, because I do feel quite strongly about it. Um, what I've found a challenge, um, and I mean, I think maybe every writer um, has that challenge, is um, shutting off all the other voices that are speaking over my shoulder when I'm trying to write something. And for me, I mean, being Samoan, uh, we're, you know, we're never an individual. I am my parents, my auntie, my uncle, my grandparents, my village, my community, and my church. And so when I'm trying to write, whether, um, yeah, I'm trying to write a scene or trying to write a character, I've got 
this whole crowd standing behind me. <laughs> and um, it's, for me, it's been a challenge to shut them all off because um, I want to um, tackle some of these uh, difficult issues and make things as authentic as possible. But there's always the voice saying, you know, how is this going to reflect on my parents? How is this going to reflect on the village that I belong to and on my religion and my faith? And that's... That's, I don't know if everybody has all those voices, maybe just have one or two, but I have an entire village of voices, and that's been really hard to shut that off. Um, because also for me, when I go out in the community and I'm taking a story or a book, it's my whole village that supports and promotes that story. And so I, I cannot always just divorce myself and think, well, you know what, it's my story, and too bad y'all don't like it, because um, they're the ones who uh, are really helpful with embracing a story and, and making sure that it gets shared. Um, but I've found that really challenging, especially with each book I write where I get braver and um, I take on more uh, difficult things with each book. Um, and then after the YA novels, then I wrote my adult contemporary um, sort of women's lit. And those were much more uh, difficult for some people to handle. And why, did, why was that? Um, you mean for the people? Or? Yeah, yeah, for the people. For um, your, for I think, I think because I'm a Samoan woman writing. And so I think about, for example, um, Albert Went. So when he wrote his novels, yes, there was some pushback, um, especially because his novels had sex in them. So there were some places that banned them in the Pacific. And he did get some you know, pushback for writing about those issues. But the second Samoan to put out a novel was Sia Figuel. And her novel was like, just blew my mind because here was a great book, plus it was written by a Samoan woman. But there are, I mean, it won Commonwealth Best First Book and everything. But there continue to be schools and universities who refuse to teach it oh in, in the Pacific because she talks about sex. And like the opening scene, you know, is a girl looking at her vagina. And so, I mean, I've been, as an English, former English teacher, I've been in places where I talk about how I'm using the book with my students, and other academics will get up and say that I would never teach that book because no good Samoan woman would read that book or teach it to students. So these are the kinds of things that we come up with yeah, when you're a woman writing from a Pacific culture. That, that must be horrible. The only voice I've got on my shoulder is the one saying, this is crap, you should give this up now. What are you doing with your life? And that is always there. That's, that's a powerful voice too. Yeah. And how do you deal with that voice, Mandy? Uh, uh, I've kind of learned to live with it because I don't seem to be able to shut it up. So, yeah. So Good advice for everyone. Just live with it. Yeah. I want you to think about the three key pieces of advice you'd give to writers who are thinking about working in the YA audience. My main bit of advice would be that you write the stuff that you're burning to say. And so, um, and you're kind of compelled to say. So it might be shit, but at least you've written it and it's out of, you know, that's what I say to myself, it's out of my head, I've downloaded it. Um, and so then at that point, then you take the next step um, and that you actually then have to be brave enough to show it to somebody and you have to be prepared to listen to what they say and, you know, and argue your point or not or, yeah, so you don't know. I never know and, and it drives me nuts and I, and I live for the day when I would write something and somebody would say, oh my God, this doesn't need to be touched, it's perfect. It's never going to happen, you know. So, so you just have to kind of learn to live with it and trust that the people that you ask to read your work will give you honest feedback and you have to learn and it's really, really hard and I've spent a lot of years crying if I added it all up, you know, when I've had feedback. I often, you know, sulk for a week where I just work through it and think, that's it, I am never doing it. In fact, my husband and I have a joke where he looks at me and says, now you, you know, take up macrame, that's code word for, you know, go and have your sulk. Um, and and I, I get so upset I can't physically actually speak. I spend three days unable to speak because I'm so disappointed in myself 
for not having pulled it off. But the amazing thing about your subconscious, and I think if you really care about wanting that story, is that you then just say, okay, well, what do I have to do to make this work? And you'll, you know, you think, until that point, you think that you've kind of bled yourself dry and you can never come up with new ideas. But you always can. And actually, it's always better. And I think that's the thing that you learn that it's always better with other people's input because you get too close to it. And so you just end up being grateful for that and realising that it's part of the process. And that, you know, maybe if you were too overconfident, it would be a really bad thing because maybe you wouldn't listen to really good advice at that point. I don't know. I only sulk when it's my sister's <laughs> advice. I can take anybody else's <laughs> advice. <laughs> but I, yeah, I think that it's really important to think about who you're asking feedback. So you, you can't yet trust your own voice saying this is good or bad, and that's fine. That will, I think that develops. You get better at knowing whether it's just, you know, the, the voice you shouldn't listen to or the one that you should listen to. But you can stage the way you give it to people. And, you know, you start off giving it to someone you feel totally <coughs> safe with because it's hard to give your work to somebody. The, the first time it's awful, and the second time it's slightly less awful, and the tenth time it's still pretty awful, And you know, but it's, it's harder at different levels. And so you start off with people that you feel safe with, but then you work up to those people who you know understand writing, can critique writing properly, and will give you really honest feedback. And then when you get that feedback, some of it, you'll, you'll read the things they've written on your work and you'll think, oh, they didn't get it. And then you think, they didn't get it because I didn't put it there right. So that's something I can change. It might not be what they thought. You're still trying to get what you wanted, but you see that if they're saying something, there's a thing you need to look at. But sometimes you'll read that feedback and you'll go, that's so obvious. Why didn't I see that? Why didn't I think of that? And then you just know straight away. You make those changes and you work around that. So you deal with different feedback in different ways. And usually it's stuff up. you know anyway. And you think, yeah. Damn, they spotted yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. No, and I was thinking too that um, it, it's never going to be good enough. You know, I mean, even now I'll pick up a book that you know I wrote, the, like the first book I wrote, and and sometimes I'll, you know, and it always happens. I'll read bits and think, oh my gosh, that's so good. I'll never be able to write like that again. Um, but then there'll be bits, and I'll, I read my books from before, and I think, this needs so much work. Because I'm a different person now. I'm a different writer now. And so if I wrote that book now, it wouldn't look like that today. But, you know, we can constantly go back, okay, and rewrite. And, but there's got to come a point, especially if you want to get something printed or put out there, where we have to say, all right, that's it. That's enough. I've done it. That's it. And, and for me, my family all knows that stage. It's usually the last week when, you know, the thing is, is, is going to be finished. And then I get to this point where I'm like, this is utter shit. Yeah, but you know what? I don't care because I'm so sick of this book. <laughs> I just want it to be finished. And my husband, he's always like, please just finish it. Just finish it. And so then you go through and you finish all the little bits, even though you feel like this is rubbish. Is crap, is crap, but I'm just I'm finishing it, and my family's always really relieved when that stage is finished because they're like, "Is it finished now?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's rubbish," and they're like, "But it's all right because it's finished." Um, but yeah, we can. It's always and and so one of my bits of advice would be, I mean, actually it was it was my uncle who also gave me this. He said, "You know, when you've finished writing a book and it gets put out there into the world, you have to let it go." And he was saying to me, you know, until that moment, it's ours. And, you know, it's, it's, you put all sorts of stuff in it, and it's just you and your book. But once it's published and it goes out there, it's no longer yours. And you cannot control how every reader is going to take that story, how they're going to respond to it, what their reaction is going to be. They're going to find stuff in there that you didn't even put in there. You know, they're going to like analyze all kinds of things and you're like, oh my gosh, I did not even know that. Um, but you know, and, and it may be stuff that you think is wrong. Maybe like, no, hello. But you know what? You're irrelevant by that point because it's not yours anymore. And he was saying to me, you got you to gotta understand once it goes, it's, it's theirs. And they do whatever they want with it. And you move on to the next book. Yeah. I often get asked by kids especially, 
which is your favourite book, which book that you like, do you like the most? And it's always the book you're working on, isn't it? Because those are the characters that you're loving and engaged in and they're part of your life. And, you know, it's, and that's fine. You can forget the... Sometimes you forget the names of your characters them. in past books. They just, but they're gone. You, they totally take up your mind while you're writing it. Well, actually, I always say it's like asking me to choose which of my kids I love the most. Yeah. Because, yeah. I, you know, you love them all for different, different reason because he's saying mm -hmm. something you really wanted to say. And on different days, you like yeah. different ones <laughs> Or you like none of them, and then you don't know what to say. I think there are ways to expand your world to include young adults. Just listen to conversations. Um, you can do a voluntary job, like go and volunteer to work in a school or run a support group or you know, do something that does bring young adults into your life. Um, you also should ask yourself, if I don't have young adults in my life, why do I want to write young adults? and think about that, and is it really the thing that you want to be writing? Because, you know, there's the old chestnut, write what you know, which of course is totally ridiculous because then no one could write history or fantasy, or, but you know what you mean, write what you know of emotional truth, and so if the emotional truth of your story is that really about YA, so ask yourself that question as well. Um, and I think what helps me is to remember that um, I've that all of us have been teenagers, we've all been young people, um, and we're still young people inside. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I think that, you know, like, I don't think that we should get bogged down and wondering, okay, how are they talking now, or, you know, what, because the, the core um, stories and the core powerful feelings and things, they remain the same, you know? And, you know, it doesn't matter um, that maybe you don't have any teenagers around you right now, but that, that story that you've got inside you, it, it will still be relevant um, because you were a teenager and, you know, you're you and, and you've got a story to tell. Um, but I think definitely it helps to read lots of, of YA books um, and immerse yourself in that world because, I mean, it's a particular kind of way to write and to see the world, and so it would help to read lots of YA. And, of course, if you're writing historic YA... It doesn't matter what teenagers are doing now. Yeah. It matters that you tell yeah. the story appropriate for the time. So let's say it's your story and you're telling it from 20 years ago, then you know exactly what that world was and how teenagers talked. And if it's historic and you're writing it 150 years ago, you do the research to get that voice right. So. Yeah, I, and I think, actually, it's funny because I think voice is more about... Um, the psychology of a book and the kind of attitude that comes through a voice rather than, you know, whether somebody says like every second, you know, word. So, so I would say really kind of dig into what is the psychology around being that mm. age, what are the angsts, what are the preoccupations, and that, because that's going to make for a far more authentic voice than whether you, you know, you use munted or wrecked or whatever mm. in the mm. long run. It's actually when you, when you say that, you know, this feels like an authentic voice, it's because you believe that that character would think that stuff and say it in that way and be compelled to do those things. It's not the kind of words they use around the edges. Little women, you know, yeah. the, those voices are very authentic of their time. And totally different from the voices of today, but the issues are the same, aren't they? Mm. So, yeah. I'm always thinking of how you can kind of show consequences of things um, without kind of without the bang, banging it over yeah. the head. Yeah, but just showing. So, so if it was something that was actually impacting on somebody's life negatively, then I would do that. But if it's not, then I'm perfectly happy to say somebody smoked a joint. And that was fine. I, you know, I personally don't have a problem with it. And I think that, um, you know, we shouldn't be preaching to kids. But at the same time, we have an opportunity to say, well, you know, that's something you could do. And these are the things that might be the fallout of that. How do you feel about that? Make up your mind. And that's as much as I would be prepared to do. So I'm not afraid of it at all. But I would think about why I was using it. Yeah. I think definitely, like you were saying, um, uh, important to have to have consequences, um, you know, sort of show up, uh, particularly for for things that are potentially harmful or potentially self-destructive. Um, to 
to have that as part of the story. And so you're not just going to, I mean, ask yourself, why is that scene in there? Why does it need to be in there um, if someone is, is engaging in, in really dangerous or risky behaviors? Um, why does it need to be in there? And what am I going to, you know, how does it move the plot forward? And am I going to show exactly, okay, there's a character who does all these things, which are kind of maybe not very good. Um, so what are some of those consequences or the fallout from them? And how does it impact on the others? Um, yeah, that's that's how I would. I certainly wouldn't like or want to a, a YA that is glorifying really harmful, self-destructive mm. things, um, because yeah, I don't think that's very good. But that's me. Probably wouldn't get published. Yet. <laughs> a publisher would say we're not going to sell many copies yes. of this. Too. <laughs> We've got just uh, three minutes to go. So do we want to do a quick key advice for people who are going to be writing in a YA market? Uh, write the stuff that you're burning to say. Um, understand that the first draft is not the last draft <laughs> and that writing takes time and that there are tools that you can learn um, but really it's about writing. And, and I would personally say um, plan it. Actually plan it out, do a whole lot of thinking about character, what you want to say, voice, all those things before you start writing because that then frees you up to be your most creative um, when you're actually getting the words on the page because you're not thinking about where you need to put your foot next. Um, I guess for me it would be, um, yes, write, write the story that you that's most important to you and that's burning you up right now. Um, and then believe in it, you know, I mean, you, you've got to believe in it and believe in yourself and love it enough to sustain you through however long it's going to take you to finish that damn book um, and to be able to uh, then put it through the next process of, of the editing and submitting it places and trying to get people to believe in it also because there's always going to be people who don't like it. Um, and you've got to, sometimes you're the only cheer crew of one, but you've got to believe in it that hard that you're going to, okay, it's not working, what do I need to fix? I'm going to fix this, then I'm going to try again. Um, and yeah, and I think just that thing of when you put a book up, you let it go, and you move on to the next one, because there's, there's so many more stories and books, and you'll always get better. Okay? You, you are, this is not the end of you know, the only book you're ever going to write, and, and that's it. No, there's more stories. So it's a process. So keep, let's just keep moving forward and keep writing. Yeah, and it's the most stimulatingly, amazingly creative thing you can do. So do it if you're not doing it. Um, my three, I'd actually say don't necessarily plan it. I say find the voice. Find the voice and follow that voice and see where it takes you. There will be a stage where you need to do some planning. I, mean, we, I think there are always different processes that, that work, not only for each writer, but for each book for each writer. So be open to that. And I'd also say don't try and write a book that you think will sell. Yes. Just write the book that you want to write. And it may sell or it may not sell. Or it might not sell now, but it might sell in 10 years. You, know, you don't know what's going to happen. It's not yours once it's written and out there. And my third thing, writing for YA, be responsible about hope. All humans need hope. Teenagers haven't had the life experience or the, they haven't built the internal resources to deal with the more difficult things in life. So make sure that we give them hope. Grown-ups are better at it, hopefully. But teenagers just need a little bit more thought. So have some positivity in there, even when dealing with the dark stuff. And that's us, I think. I hope that's been useful. New Zealand Society of Authors, Tipune Kaituhi o Aotearoa, Pen NZ Incorporated, is the principal organisation representing writers in New Zealand. We want to continue to provide opportunities for you to grow in your professional development. That's why we've started NZSA Web Workshops. Visit our website, authors.org.nz, to find out about these opportunities. Experienced writers and teachers will lead them. We hope that they help you to grow as a writer and face whatever tomorrow brings. Our website again is authors.org.nz.